What is up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Austin Jardine, and this is the Vanguard Project Podcast. Happy freaking Monday. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I got some uh, got out on uh, on Saturday, and I rode up to uh, to McCall from uh, from kind of the Boise area, which is about a two two and a half hour drive. And I got out on my bike, got some sun, and uh, you know did my first semi long trip on uh, on my motorcycle. And I tell you what, I I'm addicted. Something about being on a bike is a, is very freeing and uh, kind of seeing it and experiencing kind of the uh, the highway in a little bit different way is a lot of fun. So I hope you all got out, did something exciting, uh, kind of filled your cup with whatever it is the case may be. And uh, kind of uh, as we go into uh, the 4th of July weekend, I hope you all make some good plans, make uh, some good choices, uh, have a wonderful time with fireworks because you know what? Everybody's a bit of a pyro and get after it. But uh, before we get into today's episode, if you don't mind, uh, hit that subscribe button. Follow me on the Instagrams, uh, the uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're getting your your podcasts these days. Um, I would love uh, for you to uh, join the family and uh, leave a little rating as well. It makes me feel good and it does help grow the show from what I, uh, what I believe I understand of the ratings and reviews. So please leave a comment, whatever the case may be. Follow me. Uh, use the Instagrams to see what I'm up to beyond uh, the microphone because uh, as we get into it, uh, you'll learn pretty quick that uh, I don't do a whole heck of a lot uh, as far as talking about myself. My goal with this podcast is uh, to sit down with others to really share their life story and their life experience. Um, my little mantra here is growth through story and strength through community. So what I mean by that, what my goal and aspiration is, is to really have um, a little bit more of a uh, of a uh, a deeper conversation, I guess you could say a little bit more than just skin deep, uh, as far as understanding how people got to where they're at, the decisions that they've made, some of the things that they've learned and, uh, hopefully, uh, translating that or, or communicating that to you in a way that gets you excited about something, thinking about something a little bit differently, or in some instances, uh, finding a new hobby or community to go join in on. So that's my passion, my purpose, right? Uh, with this podcast, so I hope that you take some good information away from this. Um, but with all of that being said, uh, I'm really excited for this episode with Mr. Chris. I reached out a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, got connected, got this all scheduled up. Uh, we recorded on a Friday afternoon, and uh, you know what? I'm hoping at some point to lock down a part two because Chris had a lot of really, really good things to say, a lot of life experience and things that I feel like I could continue learning from him with. So I'm hoping to uh, lock something down in the future. But before we jump into it yet again, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Everly Stock. And, you know, I have been very thankful to these guys at Everly Stock. They actually just came out with their new lineup of clothes for uh, this next uh, next hunting season. I went and I picked up uh, one of their quarter zip shirts that I really haven't dorked around with yet. Um, but I did, however, wear my Owyhee Field shirt while I was riding up to uh, McCall this weekend. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, they actually have, uh, it's very similar to their Bruno hoodies where it's a four-way stretch. It's very light, um, meant for, honestly, honestly, you can use it for the office, which I do, and then also your high or high activity exercises because it's going to help wake away a lot of that sweat and give you a whole range of mobility while looking a little bit nice. So it was really nice because I actually wore it up to keep a lot of the sun off my skin, provide just a little bit of warmth. Um, but I did appreciate it because it's uh, they're the snap snap front button. So as I was riding, you know, I'd get hot, I'd get, I'd pull off, fill up with gas, right, unbutton it real quick without having to take my helmet off or dork with anything, snap it back on when I'm ready to go. 
ago, whatever the case may be. Um, so be sure to uh, take a look at those. I know that uh, we're not quite in uh, the hunting season anymore, but you know what? It is never too early to start, let alone get gear that is uh, you can translate from uh, you know from the field to the office, like the Waikiki Field Shirt. So be sure to give Tucker at the retail store a call. Uh, let them know the Vanguard Podcast sent you. Get hooked up and ready to go. But otherwise, we're going to roll a wicked awesome episode, and I will catch you next time. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and I am excited for today's episode. I uh, I reached out to Mr. Chris Peranto. I reached out to one of your your uh, your dudes, Jeremy. 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 I shouldn't say dude. Jeremy is is Jerry Mitchell. He's a former army. He's an army veteran, Iraq War vet. Coming across, I know I cut you off here, but I don't. No, you're good. I, I've got this because you do have those groups or those public figures or those influencers that have like an on like the answer like have that entourage and they do man so a lot of them don't don't think brcc doesn't have an entourage they do as much as evan and matt say ah no 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 you do guys and i love you anyway i, I know those guys before they even were doing all that but yeah I, I i i've gone through a lot of people that have tried to help me and there's very few i could trust and that's why i'm pointing this out is jeremy is one of the only people that I can trust in this business. There are a lot of guys I can trust on the battlefield. They really are, which is kind of sad to say. I can trust them on the battlefield, but I can't trust them in the business world. And that's I've had to learn that the hard way. But Jeremy is one of those dudes, and he is, he's a dude. Yeah. He's a dude. He's the smartest, dumbest Southern boy I ever met. Yeah, the dude, 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 <laughs> if you talk to him, like, man, can't spell for shit, can't, but he, he's brilliant. I mean, just, he's extremely intelligent. Um, and he's a tremendous business person, surprisingly. You would never think of it. Um, but um, but he's also trustworthy. So yeah, it was yeah, he's he's the one that reached out to me, you know, when you reached out. And he's the one that that monitors and catches all this stuff because he knows when something's not really in our wheelhouse sure. or, or when something is in our wheelhouse. And the, the thing about Jeremy that's so awesome is it doesn't have to be veteran oriented. It doesn't have to be like we were talking about. It doesn't have to be a former spec ops guy that's doing the interview. It, he just does this something that we want Chris to be a part of because it may help somebody down yeah. the line, whether they're veteran. And so he's he, him and I have developed a very good rapport. And of course, he's become a very, very good friend. But more than anything else, I can trust him. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people you can really trust once you get out of the military into especially into not not just the not the normal the normal business world. But when you get to this public figure movie, Hollywood books, man it's and and especially the gun community in itself we eat our own man we really do and we, we need to stop that but we do really eat our own and um jeremy's one of those guys that that i've over time just figured yeah well, you know he came he came and helped me when we weren't doing very well because of a past experience with someone else that really screwed us over for a lot of money and that's just how it is i mean that's business you learn the hard way but he came in and said hey man you gotta pay me a dime i love what you do i know what i'm doing let me take this over for you and I'm going to get you back to where you were before. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know you, but I got nothing to lose since it's all been taken anyway. So let's, why not? <laughs> it's and like it just, almost it a chance, went, but not quite. Yeah. So it's like, I, I was like, you dude, you know, I can't pay anything. I really don't have anything to pay you, but it, it worked out and he's made this grow. He's actually made Kate, not just 
Chris Peranto, but he actually, he really made Tonto a brand more than anything and has made it grow into what it is now with like battle line tactical, which is, we have a great training company, the vodka <laughs> never thought it ever had that to me, whether it does well or not, it's doing fairly well. Um, but it's just even cool to have a vodka named after you. And it's very good. It's, it's really good. And then also, uh, the, I have my own podcast called battle line podcast with Ian Scotto, who used to run soft rip radio and Andrew Wilkow show. He's being sure. So the bottom line is, is, and I hope this helps people out there, even us people, us guys that may look like everything's going well and you should be at the top of your game. You know, like me, movie came out, books came out, things were well, exciting on TV all the time. Honestly, that was probably the worst time of my life right there. It was awful. And there were just blood suckers everywhere. And I didn't know what I was getting into. And I made, I, it's my, not their fault. It's my fault. I made the bad decisions. And I luckily persevered through it. And then you know, all of a sudden this guardian angel came out of nowhere. So I was saying, guys, be patient. And it was three, four years I'd went through that to experience that before somebody came in. You know what? I'll help you out here. And you don't need to pay me a dime. I'm going to help you out. And there are those people out there that you can still trust. Um, and they're not looking at it for anything else and just help you out. And obviously he's grown with us. So he's helped with the growth and experience the, and, and, and benefited from the growth. But you know, I, I, I think people lose faith in today's, today's age that they don't think those type of people are out there and there are, they're, they're, they're out there. You just have to be able to hear it and listen. And sometimes you have to be at your lowest point just to finally shut everything out and listen and hear them and recognize that they're out there. When we get away from our narcissism, we start to figure out, you know, there are people out there that want to help us and we can't do it all ourselves, but we're a bunch of narcissists in today's society, dude. Social media doesn't help that at all. We, no, we, not at all. It's yeah. funny you say that because like I uh, I kind of feel like I felt something similar in terms of finding somebody that that is genuinely altruistic, right? Yes. Like that is incredibly hard to find. But I feel like over the past maybe two or three years, I've met a couple of folks that like I can reach out to and it's genuinely just like, dude, I just need help with a question or I need help with a contact. Yeah. And it's like, yep no big deal. Hands off. You're good to go. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Anyways, man. So you do a lot of stuff and I'm really excited to talk because I think I've got your website pulled up too. And I kind of was doing a bunch of, or a little bit of reading and everything. And I'm excited because I feel like you do a lot of really important stuff. You come from a really interesting background and (laughs) you know, I I generally feel like I have an an idea of who you are, but my goal really is to kind of tell your story. So if you don't mind maybe starting with your introduction, maybe a little oh, yeah. bit. Sure. Yeah. And then we'll kind of just, uh, I'll start asking, asking questions and trying to keep up taking notes. I did brother. You're, and you're better man than I am. When I do my podcast, my, I don't take any notes. I'm sitting there. I'm just winging it. My, my partner, Ian Scotto, he is, he's the, he's the brains behind the operation. He I rabbit that. hole like mentally. So if I yeah. can keep notes, then that <laughs> keeps me on track. <laughs> That's why get yourself a partner so you can rabbit hole and they keep track. That's <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I grew up normal. It's like everybody, else. but I, I grew up, you know, and I, my, my, my abuelo and abuela, my grandfather, and my grandmother on my mom's side, uh, they, you know, and I think that's where a lot of my hard work ethic came from, obviously from my mother, but especially from that side of the family, because they were Mexican immigrants. They they were pickers. They all came over as pickers. And for those who know as a picker, that's somebody who comes and works in the field, the migrant worker. Uh, the, the derogatory term nowadays used to be the slang term, but I guess it's derogatory now. I, I never thought it was because it was never 
I never thought of as being derogatory is called wetback because you come over from Mexico, come across the river. But, you know, they were. And, and I didn't see that part of it because I wasn't born yet. But I saw the end state when I was finally born that they went from being pickers, just picking on a farm to getting their own field, to getting their own crew to where when I finally was born and stayed coming to the farm, my grandfather and grandmother had their own farm. I mean, they really epitomized the American dream of hard work, of uh, being honest, being ethical, having some integrity and being fair. And they went from nothing, you know, literally nothing but their hands to work with no, you know, no skills at all. I, of course they had, but no skills that in the United States we would call a skill to being uh, farmers and owning their own farm. And they, and they, kept employing other pickers to come on. And, and I, that was a tremendous experience for me because just going to the farm and um, they never complained. They never, never complained about their status. I never heard anything about our ethnicity, like because we're Hispanic or Mexican that we were treated unfairly, never heard any of that. If it was going on, it never came to my attention to my attention because to us and the family and especially my mom, and then I'll tell you about my dad as well, but my mom, it was hard work. It's like, if you didn't accomplish or get what you wanted, you didn't work hard. It, it, it was never, ah, oh, no, it's because of your last name. Ah, oh, because you're a little brown. Oh, no. no, it had nothing to do with that. In fact, my grandfather was one of the most respected men in the community of Delta, Colorado. And I knew that because I was very always proud to go into town with him to go to the co-op or, or go get something for the farm. And everybody knew Joaquin. Everybody knew Joaquin. Like, hey, there's Joaquin. And he had his own call sign. Some of them that some of the the widow, the weditos, the widows, like they speak Spanish. They call him Tony. Like that's Tony. So, but it was like I I wasn't you know I was wasn't more than five or six, but I could tell that every person that talked to him respected the hell out of him because of his work ethic. So that's where I got. I was like, man, my grandfather. Wow, I, you know, I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. He's a farm, but you know, he's he's a farmer, but man, that's my hero right there. And my mom, of course, didn't ever let that go and he didn't ever let that uh that 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 unfairness of who we were whatever and I, we never I don't believe we ever had it, but didn't let that creep into our head as being an excuse to never accomplish anything yeah. or to not have to work your tail off my father the same way now my father was from West Texas um you know his his uh mother and father though they died when he was I never knew them they were he was one year old and they both died my my grandfather on my dad's side was a world war ii pilot he was shot down uh, and i shot down and i don't know where all i knew is i i i was cool when i was younger because i had his purple heart i thought that was really oh, neat cool. i didn't know what it meant but it's like wow this is mean something and my dad because I, I admired it so much my dad let me have it so um and then my grandmother his mother on that side died driving to wichita on there's a there's a road here and it hasn't changed much and it's boring as heck and she just fell asleep and she died. And uh, my my father grew up extremely, extremely poor. I mean, literally being a dirt farmer out in Spur, Texas, which is west of Lubbock. And and um, my dad as well. Granted, you know, I, we're talking ethnicities. You no, know, he's Basque. He looks he looks he looks like West Texas, you know. Um, but again, anytime that we didn't make the cut on anything, whether we didn't make a grade or we didn't did we didn't make a team or so forth because athletics was big in my family as well um it was never that we were shorted somebody cheated us it was you know maybe you needed to get up another morning and work a little bit harder maybe you didn't do put enough effort into it maybe you sat too much watching tv instead of going out there and taking a few extra swing <laughs> you know uh, you didn't study enough you didn't. so 
my upbringing was a never quit upbringing. It was, it was, Hey, life isn't always fair, but it's your fault. If you don't get to the, where you want, if you don't accomplish the things you want to accomplish. And, and I had, and that was on both sides, you know, both from my mother and my father's side. Um, uh, but I always admired, and I was always proud that I, the Mexican, I still am the Mexican, the Latino side of me, because, uh, to me, man, the Latino gene is just a hardworking ethic. It really is. And, and you see that in today's society now. You, you see other ethnicities birching about this and that. And Mexicans are just out there working and, man, and building. And I, I'm proud. So I'm always proud because that reminds me of my grandfather. He's just always working, always busting his tail. And But he loved us. And it wasn't hard. The, the family, there was a lot of love. And God was always there, too. God was always there. Um, you know, I, I know you could probably relate to this. I, I didn't, I was one of those kids that didn't like to go to, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to read the Bible, but at least I knew God was there. Yeah. And um, so as growing up, you know, I was just really, it became just a normal, fun, lower middle-class childhood, you know, played some sports. I would got very good at football and basketball and baseball. My dad, you know, I grew up on a football field. My dad coached division one football and he coached at Brigham Young. I, I mean, I still find that a blessing looking back on it now. Growing up and getting into my middle school and high school years where my father was coaching Division One football, but getting to be where he went to BYU and was the assistant linebacker, who was assistant coach, linebacker coach at BYU. And that was during the time frame of Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Robbie Bosco, national champions. And just to be around that, not that I knew it was cool. I knew it was an awesome thing, I, but I, you know, I'm, I'm still young. I still don't really get it, but I think just by being around a cook guy like coach Lavelle Edwards, they don't make head football coaches like that anymore with that kind of ethics and that kind of demeanor. And, and just being around guys like that, Mike Holmgren, who later coached the Packers and Norm Chow, who later coached the USC Trojans, being around those people really, again, solidified the importance of hard work and ethics and integrity and, and, and just being around those guys. Uh, it was incredible. I, I don't think there's athletes like that anymore either. I don't think you have those kind of athletes that, yeah, there's, there's some ego there. Of course there is, but I, I would say there's more, I love your term, more arch, altruism with those past athletes, the Roger Staubachs, the Steve Youngs of the world than there are in today's, today's professional sports. And I got to be around that. And it, it did make them more comfortable. Obviously we're talking about it. Um, and then went on and, and uh, high school, and I got a football scholarship, so I played college football, and and that's where the army started to come. As you know, I, I had no intentions of joining the army. It wasn't like, wow, I'm going to follow in my grandfather's footsteps. I never knew him. I didn't. I just knew he died, got shot down in the army airport. Um, and so, I was always wanted to be an athlete, and I was a I was a pretty good football player, but. Um, the problem with me is that I, I rested on my own laurels and I got, I was better my freshman year than my senior year because I got an ego and that was a good learning experience. So I got worse. So there's no chance for me. I'm not going to play NFL, nothing like that. So I'm walking through the quad one day. I remember that. And I remember walking through the quad at Mesa college. Now it's called Colorado Mesa university in Grand Junction, Colorado, got my bachelor's degree. And of course there's a job fair and there's everybody around and you see these guys there. And of course the military recruiters are there. There's a Navy, Air Force, Army guy. And this Army recruiter yelled across the room. And I think I was the only one stupid enough out of all the students to turn around and actually acknowledge him because <laughs> nobody else did it. I just was the only one. There's, there's students everywhere. And I'm like, and he, so he saw me and he said, Hey, come on over here. And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Oh, okay. 
but you know, of course, army recruiters, they're, they're not going to show you all the really hard stuff. They're gonna show you the cool stuff. I mean, the, there are some cool, hard stuff, but they're going to show you the cool stuff. So I saw a set Ranger video from the safe with Ranger regiment. And then I saw a steel video and honestly, I, what I asked him, I do remember this. I, I just looked at him and I'm looking at all that. I'm looking at the army, the Rangers black beret. Now it's tan because of course, General Shinsheki in his not wisdom, I'm going to say in his stupidity gave the whole army, the black beret. But back then it, we were the only ones that wore that black beret. And, um, I remember seeing that black beret and just kind of falling in love with the Ranger picture that, and he looked hard, you know, that beret's down, it's over, uh, it's cocked off to the side. And I was like, wow, that's a hard mother effort. And, you know, he's got that jaw, you know, he got the Sergeant York, you know, <laughs> chin. And um, I just, I, I, I asked him, and this is what sold me as I said, is it hard? And, and the recruiter said, well, oh, hell yeah, it's hard. I said, do people quit? And he goes, yeah, people quit all the time. There's not a very high success rate. And that actually sold me because was like, man, this is going to be a challenge. All right. This is something that I, I, I might not make. I'm, I'm not worried about failing, but man, to me, it was, I guess as a kid, you, you want to, you're trying to be better. You're trying to figure out where that pecking order is yep. within society. And to me, it was the challenge within myself was one thing. It was kind of scary because there fell, the possibility of failure was there. But it was, I'm going to be better than you, 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 you. And as far as arrogance goes or not, that was what I was thinking. And I think there's a misconception within a lot of the people with, with a lot of country that, that those that don't serve. When we first go in, especially special operations, for the most part, we really aren't doing it for patriotism or service of our country. Yes, we do. Of course, we want to serve. We're willing to. But it is more of a test for ourselves. It's it's a test for can I do I have what do I have what it takes? Do I have what it what it takes to make it to that level? Once you get in and you start doing missions and you start working with the different teams, that's when that patriotism and that service starts to come in. So I wouldn't say, yeah, I didn't join because of patriotism. I joined because I wanted to prove something to myself, is literally what it was. Okay. And um and went in the army and it was, it was, uh, it was difficult. I was married, uh, my first wife and she didn't want to be part of it <laughs> at all. And, and nothing bad against her. We are friends now. She's a wonderful woman. She's got wonderful kids. She's, we just got married way too young, way too, that's all it was. But while I was in, I, I, I just didn't have that maturity level enough to handle adversity. So I'm already going through a lot of pressure. You go through infantry piece. You know, I was a distinguished honor graduate. It really did. The army actually did fit to me. I felt like a round peg in a round hole. I'm going in. This is works. Distinguished honor grad got through airborne school. Airborne school is not hard anymore. It used to be. It is. It's kind of a joke now. It's really, it's not hard at all. <laughs> but you do get banged up because you're always landing, uh, practicing landing. And then of course your jumps, but got through that easy. Went through the Ranger indoctrination program. That is the the kick in the ass to try to make it to the 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, people, for all your listeners out there, there is a difference. If you go through Ranger school, that doesn't make you a Ranger. You got to go through what they call RASP now, Ranger Assessment Selection Phase. It used to be called RIP. You go through that to go to the actual Ranger Battalion and serve at a Ranger unit. And that's hard. It's three weeks of of hell is what it is. But it's, it, we understand that. You know, It's supposed to be hard. There's supposed to be hazing. There's supposed to be people that quit. That's why you're there. Because you are trying to get to the, the, the cream of the crop. Um, 
And if guys can't take a little hazing, they're not going to, they're not, they're not going to be there for you when the bullets start cracking by their head. But I got through that and then I went to battalion and things were going great. And then I, I, I fell apart because I, I, you know, this is for the admin of cell phones. We're out in a training op in Fort, at Fort Bragg doing a joint readiness exercise with DevGrew and Delta and Task Force uh, 160th. And, and then, of course, elements of 82nd and so forth. So it's a big exercise. Um, I couldn't get a hold of my wife. And, you know, there's, you can only use pay phones because there's no cell phones, guys. This is way before the advent of cell phones. So you youngsters, <laughs> yeah, you had to actually go find a pay phone. But during the time, I, I couldn't get a hold of my wife. And finally, I just, okay, you know, you get that spider sense that's something. And you know where I'm going with this. Yep. Something's, something's not right. I called my brother and he goes, I don't know how to tell you this, but she's cheating on it. And long story short, she uh, she was having an affair. And I wasn't, I, I just, I couldn't handle that adversity, especially being a private at Ranger Battalion. Just because I got to Ranger Battalion didn't mean that I had accomplished anything in the eyes of Rangers that have been there forever. All I am is I'm the new guy that made it through three weeks of hell. I ain't done shit. I keep getting, and so it's extremely high pressure until you go to Ranger School get your tab and then come back and they start putting you in the, in the leadership positions. Mm. So, you know, so it's, it's not easy. I think that Ranger Battalion, when you're a private is, is miserable, but it's supposed to be miserable, but you are learning. Oh, you learn so much. So it's a wonderful and miserable time all, all wrapped into it. This, it, it is very high stress though, as well, because you don't want to let your teammates down and you're the new guys. So you're trying to learn everything on the fly, but it's difficult to do. Um, so that didn't help. And it just set me over the edge. So when I went back home on our block leave, we could get a block leave. It was time and mine was around Christmas time. Um, I, I lost my mind and actually I, I, I wrote about it in Ranger way on my second book. I, I, this is out there. I'm not telling about anything that's not out there already. Uh, like, Oh crap. Got you telling I looked at you're a criminal. And I, well, I am, I've done some criminal things, but I'm not a criminal, but I, I went to the guy's house. She was going to, she was messing around with me. I thought he was going to come home and I waited outside his house because I was going to shoot him. And um, the upbringing, the never quit God in my life talked some sense into me, uh, honestly. And, and also what happened, I think God stepped in because as I was going to his house, right before I got there, I got stuck in the mud. It had been raining and this house was built where a bunch of new houses were going to be. And I got stuck. So I was trying to get my vehicle out you know, I'm, I'm, my, I'm starting, my, my brain's starting to clear. I'm starting to sober up too, of course, because all that. Sure. And no, I, 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 you know, God works in mysterious ways and we have to learn. And, and, but when I did that, I still, you know, I, I still was found out small town, local law enforcement, and then the mental health and all that. So I, I really, I, I went home and, and, um, the law enforcement were real good with me. Honestly, I was, they knew who I was and I hadn't done anything. And, and again, God's looking out for you. I've got people out there are going to say, well, you got extra chances because who you were. Well, it wasn't because of the name. It's just, you know, I was a guy that was respected in the community because of how, the work I'd put in playing football, being, being a good student, being and so forth. So, but it, it, it was, a, it was a difficult time. And I, I, um, yeah, I, I, and I went to the psych board and they, I was in there with some Vietnam veterans at a VA hospital in Grand Junction for almost a month. That was an eye opener, man. That was complete eye opener to see, talk to guys that actually were there for horrendous acts. And I'm there feeling like, well, I'm a, I'm a put, <laughs> what am I doing in here? You know, not that I loved them there. I was, that's when I get, I even have more respect for Vietnam veterans just from that time of being in there with a lot of those guys that really 
they went through some shit and they're still dealing with it for their life. You know, they're still dealing with it. And it was what, 20 years after 30 years after, but long story short, guys, if you want to read about all that, read the book, but I range your way. But um, I ended up getting discharged from the military. And again, God's looking out for me really is because I had two commanders. I had a, a first sergeant who is now sergeant retired command sergeant major. His name was Frank Grippy. And uh, one of the most decorated Rangers and most decorated infantry enlisted guys in the army. I mean, he's got mustard stains. He's been through uh, three combat, uh, three combat tours with Grenada, Panama. And then now he was also with the 10th Mountain Division was in Afghanistan and global war on terror. I mean, this is the guy that's on the ground with the privates dropping mortars in the mortar tube as a sergeant major. And then I had a, a captain by the name of Pete LaCamera, who's now a three-star general. He's uh, and um, somehow I was supposed to get discharged, not dishonorably, but it was going to be with just general conditions. And that's you know, other than honorable. That's it, bro. You get that up when you get out of the army on your DD-214, you're, you're basically blacklisted from any job. <laughs> you're, you're done. Yeah. And um, they managed to get me an honorable discharge. Uh, I, 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 maybe they saw something in me. I don't know what it was, but literally, and I say that when I always talk to Frank, I said, you guys saved my life. I want you to tell Pete, you saved my life by that little bit right there. Because you, you, without it, I don't know what would have happened to me. And so I, I never look a gift horse in the mouth. Things happen for a reason. And, and that was a gift. And, but what that allowed me to do is that I, I think back to my grandfather and grandmother. I'm thinking back to my mom. You know, my mom's talking to me. They're trying to help me. I'm thinking back to my dad. They weren't disappointed in me at all. They, they're, 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 they're parents. They care about their, their son. But I'm thinking back. I started this. I have to finish it. We don't quit. We can keep grinding. We keep moving on. And um. I did have to wait two years. That was one of the stipulations as far as my discharge goes. So I had to wait two years and I had two choices, stay in Grand Junction and work just, you know, just work at the Walmart or the gas station or work at the city market, or I could go back to college and get my master's degree. And um, yeah, I, the decision wasn't really that hard to make, <laughs> but what helped too is uh, my buddy, uh, my buddy who was still in college, I played football with, it was his last year. He was graduating. He saw how I was and he's trying to pick me up and he goes, Hey, let's go to come. We're going to spring break. Come to South Padre Island with me. Let's go South. You, <coughs> forget it all. <laughs> and so, um, and so I did, you know, yeah, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> you South forgot Padre. it all. <laughs> I did, but you know, the, the funny thing is, is that why I was there, I met my second wife and yeah, you don't usually meet your wife on on a spring break, spring break. <laughs> that, that story is funny in itself because we were we were it was the first night out and you know i did i i got there with the guys and it really felt like like i had a second chance when we got there i'm with my buddies <clears throat> you know um we're going out we're at louis i think it's called louis on the lake or and it wasn't charlie's on the lake it was louis it was louis bars and i'm dancing and i'm dancing with this i think she's a very attractive girl um yeah, you know, there's a lot of very attractive girls over in spring break there, and, and I'm drinking. And um, the before they have been a fireball, they just had those cinnamon shots. And this wait, waitress is dropping around the cinnamon shots. Somebody bumps her and it spills all over me. So I got all these cinnamon shots all over my side. And I, I'm not mad. I think, like, yeah, spring break, yeah, it's cool. And I ripped my shirt off. And, and I still give my wife, that's what I tell her. I said, that's why you fell in love with me. I ripped my shirt off and you saw my <laughs> chiseled chest and my six pack abs. And I, but I, you know, I, I give her that, that shit. And she 
she's like, well, whatever, whatever. But um, it, it really was. We, we, uh, we, we just stay hanging out together the whole time while we were there. And, and while we were there, I found out she was still a senior at University of Nebraska at Omaha. And I had just completed my GRE. And I said, well, shit, I've never been to Omaha. I've never been to the Midwest. I, I, at least I know her. Um, we get along great, you know, and, and we were, we, we started to kind of stay in contact and date, you know, via the phone. And, yep. and I said, well, I'll okay, apply fine. for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll apply for UNO and we'll see if I get in a graduate program in criminal justice. And I did, I applied there and got in and I called her and I said, Hey, I'm coming to Omaha. Can you find me a place to live? I don't care where it's at. I don't care how much it's cost. I only have a little bit of money. And she did. She found me a, a room in probably one of the worst parts of town, right across from the Mutual Omaha building, down, which is near downtown, no air conditioning, no washer and dryer in this house for 130 bucks a month. That's and I couldn't, I couldn't have been any happier. Dude. And that's where I shot. And I, I got my master's degree. And, but you know, in the back of my head during that time frame, I'm just thinking to myself, okay, I still got to get back in the army. I, I got to finish what I started. And it was difficult because of the nature of my discharge, which is whether it's honorable or not, the nature of it's still there mindset personality disorder so it's a basic saying hey mentally there's something not right with this guy you want to give him a loaded gun <laughs> but i you know what the the stipulations was though is i could get that expunged or at least it would get it would get changed my reentry code could get changed if i got three professional psych evaluations over a two-year period from different doctors and they okay. didn't have to be military doctors and i did and but it had to be over a two-year period and you know and during that two-year period i I remember just, I just fixed myself. I fixed myself in the, in the military. We say, Hey, fix your fucking self or unfuck yourself. Well, that's <laughs> what I did because everything that had happened at that point, it was, it was really my doing. I could have fixed, but I just wasn't at the maturity level to, to, to handle that. I didn't know how. And, um, I did, I, you know, I ended up getting master's degree. I worked full time at the mutual Omaha building as a claims adjuster so I was improving my life on the outside. I had a stable, me and me and my second wife, we, 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 we dated and we, it was a very stable, good relationship. And um, I finally found a recruiter after two years of trying that would help me. Um, I, I, my initial recruiter, I still remember him when I first went in saying, Hey, if anything ever happens, maybe he had foresight. He saw something down the line, I don't know. but he said to me, he goes, if anything ever happens, there's a waiver for everything to get back in. You, there's a way. And I always remembered that. So every time I went to a recruiter, they would look at this. is what happened. Bro. They'd look at my file, Austin. And I'd say, yeah, I want to go in infantry ranger. And they'd be all excited. And then they would see that. And you could just see their faces. They were like, just that disappointed. <laughs> of, I don't want to work hard for this. So I did have to find the right recruiter. And, and it happened to be very lucky that the, the head U.S. Army Recruiting Command, I didn't even know it for the first year I lived in this, this place, was a block from my house. I did have no idea. I drive by it every day and not even think about it. And one day I went for a jog and I ran by like, it's like, I felt like the, the you know, the face palm. Yep. Why? I'm an idiot. Why? So I go in there and luckily for me, the US, the Nebraska US Army Recruiting Command Sergeant Major was in there. And I walked in there and I said, Sergeant Major, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And I, and I was fully transparent. I said, I'm, I'll bring my file in. You can look at it. But I said, I, I want to go back in. And I, I said to him, I said, you have people that don't want to go in at all, that don't want to do this. I want to. And they managed to find me a way in. The only caveat was that I had to do it all over again. So I had to do basic 
airborne and rip all over again and go back in into Ranger Battalion as a private. And um, I, that's what I did. I, but, you know, the only reason I did that is, and, and I say it's because of how I was brought up being around my grandma and the grandfather's pickers. They never quit. You finish what you started. If you didn't make it, then whose fault is that? You work a little harder. And that's, that's what I did. And I tell you what, the second time though, I knew what to expect. I was in such great shape. I mean, I could outdo the drill sergeants. It was, I just, I knew what, what was coming. And I, I, I was very blessed to be a very good runner. So I could run like, I mean, I could run like the wind for five, six miles. Um, I still can run. I just can't run like the wind anymore. It's more of a slow plotting Clydesdale job, but I can still run. <laughs> but um, yeah, I went in and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I did very well, got my Ranger tab came back to battalion, became a team leader. And then uh, I went off to become an officer. And then, you know, then of course, you know, as life has it, you think everything's going extremely well and then you get kicked in the teeth again. And I remember um, everything's going great. I'm actually an officer now. I'm commissioned. I'm a second lieutenant, just newly second lieutenant. And um, we're out in a training op and my stomach could hurt. His stomach was hurting really bad, but I just, you know, I'm drinking all, I really, I'm, as an infantry officer and even a ranger, you're drinking all the time. You're chewing tobacco all the time. You're, you're working hard. You're not really taking good. You're playing hard and working hard. You're not really taking great care of yourself, but you're PTing all the time. So I'm going to be all right. And um, I remember I passed gas out on the training op and, and what was something other than gas came out. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, well, God damn it. I just shit on myself. That's what I did. And, you know, it was hot outside. I probably was dehydrated. I were in Benning. But when I reached back to see what, you know, I did, I, I did, I was just, a, I just went, oh, damn, what the hell? My hand was all sticky and I could tell there was, it was, it was blood. And um, they rushed me to Martin Army Hospital out of the field. And they, of course, assaulted me with the, with the tubes, endoscopy, colonoscopy, trying to find out what the heck's going on in my intestines. And they're like, they're, the doctor came in, the GI doc, he's like, I don't even know how are you still doing this? He goes, you have one of the worst cases of ulcerative colitis we've seen. <laughs> and he said, we can't even tell if it's ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease because you have indications of both. And for those that don't know, that's really, it's when your intestines are being, you have a, you have an autoimmune disorder. Your, your, your immune system is attacking itself because there was a bacteria in there. It got rid of it. My immune system is too stupid to know that it's gone and it keeps attacking basically healthy cells. And it looks like road rash um, on the inside. And it, it, and it, it, it was, you can't digest food because your intestines aren't working. And I lost 30 pounds. I, granted, I got discharged from the military, but medically discharged. I'm not, I have no complaints from the army. They took care of me. You know, I did get a medical retirement from them. But at that point in my life, I'm in my thirties, everything's going great. It really was. And I did, I looked up to God and I was like, why, why did I deserve? It was like, why did I deserve this? Yeah. What did I do? What did I do that I deserve this? Cause now I, I don't know what to do with my life. This was, that's my life. That's what I was doing. I was good at it. And, um, every day I'd lay in bed and I, I would try to get better. And it was hard because it's hard when you can't take in any nutrients for your body to recover. So through trial and error, of course, my beautiful wife who was there with me the whole time, I started to figure out what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. And, and, um, and, uh, I, every day I get out of bed and I would do a push up, And if I could do two, I do two. And over the next year, I figured out what was bad for me, what I couldn't eat. I researched it. I studied it. I got on healthy diets again, uh, which is great. I, you know, those I'm never, I, I'm not a vegan or anything, guys. I like red meat. I like fried food, but 
at that point in time, I had to figure out what causes and what would inflame my gut. That's because if I inflamed, I didn't get any nutrients in. And it was a year of just not quitting, of not giving up, of not saying, man, life sucks. I'm just going to lay in my bed and say to hell with it and be done. And, and um, those, you know, it was awesome. Those two pushups turned to three pushups and they turned to four pushups. And every day they get, I get a little stronger and every day I could figure out what I could eat and what I couldn't. And, and luckily for me, I could eat tuna fish. Tuna was so easy eat and meat. I could eat tuna fish and meat in my mouth. So I, I was able to get that protein that I needed. And then I, and then I could figure out what I couldn't eat like bread or milk and all. I couldn't eat it. I couldn't do any of that. And, um, over that year, I, I even started to where I got strong enough to do enough pushups. I just started walking the block and then I jog half the block and walk, and I just kept building up, building up, building. And then after a year, um, I got a phone call from a company called Blackwater Security. I don't know if you've heard of it. And then I got another phone call from Triple Canopy, uh, which were the really the, the two big ones to include DynCorp at that time. This was 2003. And the global run tears off, you know, 9-11's happened. I'm watching all my buddies jump into places on TV and you know, I'm feeling like a piece of crap, just humiliated. So I get a call from Blackwater in 03. My body's back up. I'm getting strong. I can do, I can actually go run two, three miles and be fine and do push-ups. So I built myself back up and uh, I remember they said to me, Hey, do you want to go be a contractor in Iraq? And I'm like, guys, I don't build houses. I don't know. I, I don't think you've got the <laughs> wrong like, number. Wrong kind of contract. <laughs> Cause, I, cause wait, no, I didn't know. No, I mean, they were so new at that. I didn't know what a contract. And they said, no, no, no. They were like, Hey, one of my buddies had got on Blackwater and he, he referred my name to them. Mm-hmm. So they said, Hey man, we got your name from so-and-so. Oh yeah. How's Ranger so-and-so doing? He's like, yeah, it's fine. But they, you know, they didn't want to do the small talk. They just wanted to do the business and that you've got the background that we need. They said, are you, are you still in the military? I said, no, I'm medically retired. And thinking that, Oh shit, medically retired. They didn't care. Like, Oh, okay, great. You're, so you're not in. And it says, are you, they said, are you healed? Are you okay? And of course I'm still healing. They don't know that I'm, you know, fingers crossed by my back. Yeah, I'm okay. And I'm thinking to myself, as far as you know, I'm okay. I, I'll tell you, but I'm really, not, yeah, I said, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good to go. And they said, well, can you be down to Moyoc and uh, Blackwater's headquarters at the time? And can you go through this three week training process, vetting process to try out? And then we want you to go to Iraq and, and this is what you're going to get paid. This is what you're going to be doing. And it's going to be under the state department and, Man, I, they had me at, this is how much you're going to get paid. <laughs> so, <laughs> at that point, man, I, and I don't know if you've talked to other contractors in those early days, boy, we were making hand over fist money. It was unbelievable. And, and there was very little oversight. So the missions were, it was a wild west. So we're making tons of money with little oversight. It was crazy, but it was crazy fun and crazy dangerous. But you know, but it, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, you know, I did my thing at, at Blackwater. Um, you know, I would have went to Triple Canopy, but the only reason I went to Blackwater over them is because Blackwater called first. They right. both are great companies and they both had great owners at that time. Eric Prince on the Blackwater side and then Delta legend Lee Van Arsdale on the Triple Canopy side. So I, I don't think I could have been wrong with either of them. Um, but um, I went over there and uh, honestly, that's where the life of what people saw within 13 hours started. That was where that life started. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about a lot of that because everybody, you know, I'd say everybody in your show, everybody's going through adversity. And I'd say, just keep pushing through it. Just keep going. I don't, can't tell you when it's going to end, but if you keep pushing through it and you keep believing that you're going to 
succeed in whatever you do and the bad stuff will end and you keep working hard. So when that chance comes, when that opportunity comes, you're ready for it. Life's going to be great. And I use that as an example with the blackboard thing. If I would have laid on my bed and felt sorry for myself for even an extra day or two, I wouldn't have been ready to go take on that next adventure, which was being a contractor. So you, you never lay and feel sorry for yourself. I'm like, oh, feel sorry for myself for a second. Okay, let's go bust my ass and try to get better and heal up or get healthier, stronger. So, but for the next 10 years, I was a contractor and I got to do some amazing stuff. I got to, and I got to do, I worked in Baghdad. I worked in Alhilla. I worked in Mosul. I worked all over Kurdistan. I worked in Kabul, Kandahar. Yeah, I got to work in Yemen, Sanaa. I, I got, you know, of course, Libya and Tripoli and Benghazi, and then all the the safer Middle Eastern countries, Jordan and UAE. And then I actually worked in South and Central America as well, which was great. And I got to do anti piracy work off the coast of Somalia in the Gulf of Aden after Captain Phillips was was apprehended and attacked. I was there were seven of us contractors. We were the first seven ones to go on ships and ride the Gulf of Aden and ride the Red Sea, and so. I, I was blessed. Honestly, I, I don't think I would have been able to experience as much as I did in the army as I did as a contractor. And honestly, what was even better is that because of your contractor, you really, you don't have a lot of oversight. So there's a lot of more freedom. So when I'm not on that ship, I'm going out in town and finding out, that, oh my gosh, there's a Starbucks in Fujara. What the heck? There's a bowling. What the, you're, you're actually experiencing the culture and the life because when you're not working, it's on you. And if you die, <laughs> it's, it's on you. I mean, that's, it's, that's, that's, uh, that's the other side. And, and on the, and with the uh, areas like even Baghdad and, and the danger search, we really, you can't just go find, get a cup of coffee anymore. You can in Kabul. I don't know now, but we could back then. Um, still though, there was very little oversight. So if we, which is good, but we, we don't need that oversight because we need to know the cities better than the locals. We need to know the areas and we need to be immersed within there. So we learn the atmospherics when people do the beauty of those jobs is that we get to do that. I, I, I get to go. And I know where all the cool bootleg DVD stores are. I know where all the sooks are that you can buy weapons at. I know where the best cup of cup of chai is off the off the Mediterranean. And that's, What's awesome is because you're not just stuck on a base. We're in the military. Maybe I would have got to do more direct action missions than I did as a, as a contractor, which is, uh, that's cool in itself, but you really let off the base to go just really do the 007 James Bond surveillance, counter surveillance while you're taking in all the city. And that was fun. I did it for 10 years and um, saw some, a lot of death. I did see a lot of life though, too. A lot of people saved um, because of, because of brave men and women and brave contractors out there. But I also, I'm also a realist and I became a realist knowing that even the best laid plans, sometimes people die. And, and I, you know, and even the, the, the damage, what's the, the collateral damage um, people that are within that area where there may be an attack, they might die too. And I saw, I experienced that with the little girl. Um, and so, you know, a lot of stuff is, stayed with me, but I, I really believe all of that leading up to it very well prepared me for the adversity that I went through working as a contractor. And then all that adversity as a contractor led up to the 10 years to when 9-11-2012 happened in, in Benghazi, Libya. And uh, yeah, yeah, gosh, I, I'm sorry, bro. I talked to you off right there. You know what I'm saying? Oh. But, but then, then Benghazi happened and um, um, I couldn't have been more prepared. And I could say that for the team, I, the team couldn't have been more prepared. 
uh, God, again, a lot of faith in God, God, God put us there for that reason. Not because we were in any better tactically or technically or could shoot better or anything is because all of us were in, were very in our forties. So all of us had been through a lot of stuff up to that point, not just combat related, just life related. Had dealt with a lot of adversity, knew that things don't always work out correctly, but also knew that if we didn't quit fighting, that we're going to win. It gives us the best chance to win. We're going to think we're going to win, but honestly, it gives us the best chance to win. And that we also knew that we knew we had to work together, even though, um, and I say this when I, cause I do a lot of public speaking now I, I'm able to do it. Actually, I, I, I've gotten, I think I've gotten fairly good at it because I've been able to talk more and be more open about what happened. But I always, always give people that example that, you know, I, I, there's a lot of those out there, people out there that think that special operations troops and guys within those teams, we all are like best friends. We all love each other. We all get along. And no, I think that's the part that's for there's sometimes we actually, we just can't stand each other, despise each other. But the beauty of those teams, being in the special operations teams, being with the agency and getting to be older in the agency is you know how to put all those differences aside. You know how to put all those grievances, those petty drama grievances that you may have. We all know that when it's time to go to work, those all go by the wayside and we all have each other's backs. And that was that one team that had that that and it, it, that's not always the case in bases i've only had that at one other base and that was in kandahar a lot of times guys couldn't put those differences aside and and when that happened work suffered or the possibility of death or failure increased but there now nah, me and oz don't like each other i i've never have he's never really liked me uh, but i have his back if he needed me and that night we didn't let any of our differences get aside and we worked extremely well together as well as the rest of the team. And, and um, yeah, and we had to fight through a lot of adversity because, you know, when you're going through battle and somebody dies, the battle's not over. So like, Hey, time out. <laughs> hey, time out. The IT guy, Sean's dead. We, we can't, we, we got to figure this. You got to keep fighting. And then like, even at the end of the fight, when Roan and Bub were hit with mortars and, you know, I, I was, I was watching them. I was shooting over their heads when they got hit. So I was able to see the mortars actually strike their position. That's it, it, it's, it's awful and it's terrible, but it, it really is amazing. It's, it's amazing. I don't mean no disrespect to the Woods family or the Doherty family. I have the utmost respect for them. I have utmost respect for Bub and Ty. They're, they're heroes. They're the heroes. They're the ones that sacrificed all. But I'm, when you're watching that, your, your brain is just trying to, see that and it's almost a, it's a it's an eerie brutality but it's also a, a brutal beauty because it is it's it's just shooting and there's you know it's still night you know the movie showed it was kind of daytime it was still early morning nautical twilight it was still right before the sun come up so i still had my night vision on and every bullet you shoot that comes out that weapon is heated you can see it and i'm just seeing those guys shooting i'm popping over their heads and then all of a sudden just seeing the and feeling the concussion because i'm only about 40 meters away behind this parapet is uh, I just feel the oh, concussions coming at me and I see the flashes of light and, and then they're gone. And all I see is this pixie dust raining down. And usually when there's an explosion, hold on, buddy. I, mean, I know we're in, we're in, I, you hungry? Okay, I'll come feed you. That's why I love my, I love my life. That's my little boy. He knows not to come into camera. He <laughs> says, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Okay, so I'm going to go feed him. But, you know, 
seeing and getting back and if you want to edit this in or however you want to do it i think that's awesome having that in here because that's yeah. what it's all about now as family <laughs> man with me that's my mission now is to be the best father i can be and husband but um when you see that flash of light when things like that explodes mortars ieds big explosions go off uh, katusha rockets after that flash in the night vision, you see the particles and the debris that rains down. It is. And most of that is either heated or charged. So it looks like pixie dust. And it, it was the weirdest thing. Everything just went silent. And I remember seeing the pixie dust come down. And I remember seeing all my teammates that were there, they were gone. So my brain is telling me, man, your team just got turned to dust. And you, and I did put my head down after I did. That's the one time negatively I put my head down and I did. I shook it and I said to myself, we can't beat this. We don't need air support. That's what I said. I started thinking, man, we didn't get any air support, big military. They're not coming for some reason. We know now why, but I didn't know at the time. All I was just like, <laughs> but go back to my grandfather and grandmother, go back to my mom and dad. You never quit. And that's all I heard was like, Get your gun up. And the God say, God saying, get your gun up, Ranger. And my head, I'm going, we don't quit. We don't quit. We don't quit. You know, and we kept fighting and we fought them off. But that's 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 you know, that's the beauty of life and what goes on, even the bad parts, they're all to help us learn and get stronger. And if I hadn't been through those divorces, the 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 also colitis that damn near killed me, the just the failing the military the first time, and then just even just the little failures of not making standards when you run or 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 not making the grade, you know, when when you're when you're doing your first EIB test on the MC, they're all there to challenge us, and they're all there to, they're all there to to get us stronger if we're able to overcome them, and every one of us can. It's just sometimes we choose not to. Um, but I chose to overcome all of them. And it was, it started with my, my grandfather and grandmother, my abuelo and abuela being pickers and never giving up the American dream to become successful and never letting us remember that hard work is, is what's going to take to, to, to accomplish a goal and, and, and to become, to become successful, whatever that may be, it doesn't have to be, you're a millionaire. It just could be just to become successful. So that's it as far as my story up to big Gazi. So, um, yeah, brother. But do me a favor. Can I go get my son? Yeah, hundred percent. I'll pause it and. Yeah, I'll be right back. He's awesome. It's like, it's like Forrest Gump. It's like, well, <laughs> I ran it in a block. When I ran this far, I might as well just keep on going. <laughs> going. No, you're good, man. It's funny because, like, so I was taking notes, right? Kind of like, okay, cool. But here's some questions, and it's kind of funny because I feel like every step of the way, you more or less answered questions that I was thinking about. Because one thing that always intrigues me is what it is that keeps people going when shit really does go south. Right. And, and it sounds like you've had a couple of those moments where (laughs) things just didn't go right or they went completely wrong or for lack of a better phrase, rock bottom. Yeah. But consistently it sounds like it was just, just don't quit. We don't quit. Keep going. Yeah. And that's, that's really, it is that easy. People think that there's some magic elixir or there's something else. It really is. It's your brain, your brain, your brain's going to quit on you before anything else. Your body can continue to go through so much punishment. I, 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 I even had those moments in Benghazi, I had those moments at Ranger school um, and where I just wanted to give up. And I, my brain was wanted to give up. It wasn't my body. My body wasn't going to, I knew that my body would keep going until it just didn't have anything else left. And then I just fall over. 
but it was my brain that I had to talk in to keep going, whether it was the first, first wall that we hit when we were first went on foot in Libya, where we hit that first wall and I try to pull myself up it. And I'm, I, you know, I'm 40 some, I've got all this gear on. I did have shorts on. It was, that wasn't movie magic. I actually still have those shorts. Um, um, the, the shirt was different. I was wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt that night. They, we just couldn't put that in the movie. Shocker. Um, if it was, I'm, I don't want to get into politics and Disney and all that. Gosh, but, um, but yeah, yeah. I hit that first wall, pull myself up and just like, man, I don't. And then as I looked over the wall, I saw wall after wall after wall. There were no mouse holes we could go through. There were no doors that we could go through. And like, oh my gosh, I don't, I, I, we're just barely starting and I'm already smoked. And, and I, I remembered, you know, I did, I remembered Mount Fraser Ranger School. I thought back to it and I thought back the mountains that we went up with 70 pound rucks. And here I'm bitching about an eight foot high block wall. <laughs> and it was like in my head, I went, you've done this before. You can do it again. And I said some expletives to myself saying that. But as soon as I said that, my brain's like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. And then my body, I, 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 I got winded a few times, but there was nothing where I couldn't, I couldn't get to where I needed to go, pull myself over the walls, jump, jump if I needed to over, you know, on the, over a car hood, not, not the cool guy way. I, I don't, I don't, you know, the cool movie slide on it. Not, not like just move fastly over a hood. If I have to skip it, you'll climb up ladders, climb down ladders. I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't burnt. My muscles didn't burn at all the rest of the night. And I attested to was me just saying, Oh, I, I can do this. I've done it before. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You, your, your brain, if you say you think you can't, all that is if you think you can't, you can't. Yeah. If you think you can, you can. And you and you can. But so for you then, in those moments when you started to think you couldn't, mm -hmm. was it genuinely just thinking back to your grandma, your grandpa, your parents, or was there something else that you're like, no, I need to do this for me, for my team, for my buddies, even though I'm annoyed as fuck with that. <laughs> I have to do <laughs> that's always there. Yeah. No, if you're on a team, you're the, the saying that you are there for the guy to the right and left to you. That is true. That is always true. You do not want to be that guy that quits. It's the same way I joined them when I said, Hey, this is when I talked to the recruiter and I said, do people quit? He said, yeah, and that's why it was challenging to me. It's because I didn't want to be those guys. One of those guys that quits. So when you first go in, what, what are the never quit was there for my family and my parents. It was always there. And it was playing football. And that also being a teammate, learning how to be a team player, college athletics, high school athletics always helped that you learn teamwork. But when you get into the military, it gets taken to the next level and you don't want to be that guy that's quits because you will let everybody else down. And believe me that it's happened before. Luckily for me, it's happened in training with other guys, but you see what happens and the effect it does to the rest of the platoon, the squad, and um, the negativity and the possibility of people dying if that happens. But also just, I know we, we, everybody gets a trophy and all that other stuff that we really, I think we're finally starting to get away from that. But the shame you feel when you let other people down, shame and guilt are very powerful to learning tools. Yeah. And I don't think we should lose those. I'm not saying we have to shame everybody, but feeling the shame of you being that guy that quit and let everybody else down on this mission in a training exercise that will make sure that you don't quit again, or you know what, maybe this isn't for you. Rangers aren't for everybody. Maybe we need to send you somewhere else. 
Um, so yeah, that course was there. The quitting was already ingrained in me. I'm not going to give up based off my, what my grandparents, grandma and grandpa said, but then you take it to the next level. It's like, I'm not quitting. Cause if I do, Tyrone's going to die. Oz is going to die. You know, they're relying on yeah. me just as I'm relying on them. When you get to those levels though, as far as SEALs, Rangers, special operations unit, paramilitary units, you know, when you get in your forties and you've been doing that, this for now for 18, 19 years, it's pretty much ingrained in you that you don't quit. Um, so even those people that may not have had the upbringing that I had, they may have had a worse upbringing. Even there's some that come from, come from the ghettos, the streets of really hard upbringings more than me. I was lower middle-class. I still had a good upbringing, but even those that go through even better upbringings, once you get 18 years in, you didn't get those 18 years in by quitting on anything, yeah. especially quitting on teammates. So by that time, it had become just habitual. You just don't give up. You don't quit you, by 100%. And then some, though I be the lone survivor, nah, I'm the last, even if I'm the last man standing, I'm not going to give up. And you just certainly don't give up on your team and you're willing to give your life for your team. That's the military. Yeah. Um, I think there may be something in us that people that join, especially the special operations community, we all have egos. I, I don't want people to ever think that's the case. And I don't know. I, I, and if some, some military, some special ops guy says, that, yeah, he didn't do it a little bit for himself. He's lying to you. Nah, it's a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. We are trying to prove ourselves, but we also will be willing to give ourselves for others, sacrifice ourselves for others. John 15, 13 is one of the biggest, most uh, well-respected verses in the military. And I'll paraphrase it, but it's, you know, love is no greater than this, that a man laid down his life for his friend. If you go to Texas A&M and you go to the core, the, you know, the core of the core cadets, they have it on a said John 15, 13, right above where they do their parade, you know, their parades I say where, where they stand and they do their, their, uh, Oh, I don't know. I, I would call our cadets. Well, they stand and they, they stand in formation. They do their formations. I shouldn't call them parade. They're parade fields. They do their formations. So um, that's completely ingrained in you too. So I would say, yeah, it was already there with my family. Definitely was. And I'm always thinking back because my grandfather and grandmother and my mother made a big impact on me. And of course, growing up, it's just taken the next level when you go into those branches of service. But to say that there is a special gene or anything that somebody has, no, it's not. We all have it, but it's, it's like anything else. The more you work with it, like a muscle, the more you lift it, the more you work it, the stronger it gets. Well, that belief of don't let anybody down, don't quit, gets stronger and stronger because we continually are pushed to that let limit in training to quit. And we have a choice to either quit, then see ya. All right, there's no second chances, guy. You will send you. We'll see. <laughs> Broke his cold challenger. Steve Ott says, catch you down the road. Or you didn't quit. You're here. All right. You've become even more part of the team. Now we're going to give you a little bit more responsibility. Now we're going to put you in a pipeline to become a leader and get in leadership positions. So that never quit attitude, not only is it beneficial to your brothers, that you are rewarded for it as well as leadership positions. Yeah, because the, or or getting into maybe a, a team that you want to get into and they're very selective because that's part of it. Not just being tactically and technically sound, you have to be mentally tough. And that's where that comes from, um, from the training. If you don't already have it prior to going in uh, as far as having the practice at it, which that's where I was very lucky. I already had it in practice growing up at a young age, whether I knew it or not, the never quit attitude was always ingrained in me because 
we never believed in my family that if we, it, that we were given anything for free. And we never believed in my family that we, if we didn't get something that we didn't get it because of race or ethnicity or discrimination or anything. It's just, we didn't work hard enough to get it. Or maybe it's just not our time to get it. So, yeah. I, so I, I would say, yeah, it's, it's there in the beginning, but yeah, definitely. It definitely uh, perpetuates and gets stronger within the branches of services, especially the special operations community. Definitely. Yeah. So with, with that type of mentality, right. The never quit always yeah. moving forward. Right. What did that translate into in terms of different skills that you've learned that you're like, man, this was incredibly helpful through all of your life experiences. I think everything, everything, because I've never been naturally good at anything. I've always had to work at it. Writing books. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> are you kidding me? I, I like, man. And, and I do have, I do have a lady, Melissa Moore that helps me. She does help me write. And I, I, um, as far as, you know, she's a professional writer, you know, I'll put my thoughts on paper. Then she's ah, this is probably what we want to say, or, or, but, but I do have a coach or mentor. They're helping me, but that is parts where, where I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, you, you, you just don't want to do them anymore. You're like, I don't want to write. It's like a homework assignment. Yeah. Ranger way was fun. Actually, that one was okay. Um, I was extremely busy. So it was, it was just finding the time to do it. But that's where that never, that never quit came in is that <laughs> I was finding the time to do it in between traveling all because that was when the movie came out. So we were busy promoting oh, yeah. the movie. Um, I was actually still doing a lot of media at the time. I'm, I was doing a lot of speaking at the time, not corporations so much, but more political speaking because of the election. And of course, you know, Benghazi guy, Hillary's running politicians see, you know, they see dollar signs <laughs> and stars in their eyes. Like, Oh yeah, we got to have these guys. So I'm all over the place. So the last thing I wanted to do was come back to my motel room. You know, I'm gone from my family too, which wasn't, which was hard. And that's a whole nother story. In fact, we didn't even get into that. Um, but um, come to my motel room and write a book, write, write anything down on paper or even speak into a, uh, speak into a uh, recorder, you know, to, so I can get my thoughts on So I can get my thoughts on paper later. I don't want to do that. And it's like, I'd lay down and like, gosh, you got to get this done. It's just going to wear on you. You don't quit on this. You already started. They, they want this. They, you have a deadline. <laughs> so I would make myself do it. I think, and I think that's translates very well into everything that we do. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to put that extra work in sometimes on the weekend, but sometimes you have to, you know, and, and uh, that really did help me after in those three years from 2016 on to, um, which is when, yeah, when the book and the movie came out to about 2000, actually it was 2015, I want to say, and her, help me with my dates here. I'm sorry, I could be off a year, but I remember that 2013, I was still working in Yemen and then the shit hit the fan and we came forward and said the truth and we were, we were all suspended from the agency. Basically, we were all fired. We all had our clearances suspended. Um, and then the book, yeah, we started in 2014. So really the book came out in 2015 and things got a little bit busier, but um, that's when my life really took a huge turn south uh, and 2016, even more so. And you say, well, how's that happen? Well, guys like myself aren't bred to be out in the spotlight. I'm not, it's nothing I ever wanted to do. Um, and, uh, and your ego you can buy, you can, you can buy in your own bullshit. And I did. And my ego went through the roof. You know, I, it did. And this is even before the movie came out. And, um, you know, and then also 
the books and so forth and writing the second book and it never quit out of it. It was there, but, um, I, I had forgotten, you know, I forgotten really what had gotten me to that point. And that was my family. And, and so you got to be careful with that. Never quit attitude too. Don't forget what your, where your baseline is. Don't forget who, who, who got you. Don't forget who stood by you. And I had f- almost relied more on just myself. I could do this. The never quit attitude. That's what can happen. So there's a downside to it too, guys. There is. You have to, you're, like anything else, you have to be moderate. There's moderation everywhere. I'm not saying to give up on anything, but when you're thinking to yourself, you know, gosh, I, I don't think, man, I've been through, look at all this stuff I've been through. I didn't quit. I didn't give up. And it's, it's always worked out to me. I stopped praying. I stopped reading my Bible. Me and my wife, second wife divorced. I started messing around. I started, you know, it was, my life was hell and because I was like, you know, I can get through this stuff. You know, I can do this. I never don't the other things and the other, the other intangibles that come with it, I'd forgotten. So there is always not just a never quit. There's other things that go along with it. And I know your listeners, if they have been listening, have heard me talk about God and prayer and family of many times, those things have to be part of that as well. And, um, Benghazi did though, save my life again. It did. Um, in 2017, I tried to commit suicide. Uh, you know, the whole whole spiel, trying game. I was in the crying game shower scene, you know, naked, <laughs> crying. And I laugh about it now, but it really was. You know, like crying in the shower. I'm I'm alone. I'm divorced. My kids, you know, they're 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 all still young. I'm missing their lives. And uh, I looked in the mirror, and I did. And this is this is the first. This is the third attempt. I'd actually attempted two times earlier, um, but. Um, but this was this one to me was the most serious because I mean the gun was in my mouth. I mean it was, and uh, I remember looking in the mirror in my bathroom and I, I said, "Man, okay, you've never quit anything, and now you're going to quit on one of the most important things in this world, and that's yourself and your family." And so I said, and I also said, "Do I want to live live like this the rest of my life?" And it took me three times to look at myself. I couldn't do it right off the bat. I was too ashamed. And um, when I finally was able to, I said, "Do I want to live like this the rest of my life?" And then I thought about Benghazi, like, man, you've been through, you went through hell and made it out. There's a reason for that. And I put the gun down. Now, people will tell me, and I've had others, and even when I've talked, I do tell that story in some of my speeches uh, that I talks I have to, to corporate talk, corporate, uh, in the corporate speeches I do. Some of them have said, you know what, Benghazi is what led you to that. I, I beg to differ. Um, I would have been that route anyway. I've seen, I'd seen too much horrendous, horrific deaths and lost too many friends. And, and then also on the ultimate high, seen too many lives. You, you, it's a roller coaster. Benghazi just expedited it. And sure. it, after Benghazi expedited even more with the, with the, with the spotlight, with the look at me, look at me, public figure spotlight. Yeah. How many likes do I have on Instagram? Man, I got so many likes on Twitter. Oh my Lord. Social media and all that. Benghazi's what actually saved me because I thought back to it and you're like, man, you went through hell and you're going to give up on yourself now. And um, I put the gun down and I went back to my wife on my hands and knees, cut up all the toxic relationships that I had. I had a lot of them. And I laugh at it now because it's almost disgusting. To me, it's, it's just it's just disgusting to me. But my wife's an angel and uh, they were going to Disney World for Christmas. It was around Christmas time. And I said, hey, uh, can I go? And she said, yeah, you can come with us. And why to, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't go to Disney now because for right now until they get their, 
when they start being Disney again and stop being a political arm first. <laughs> so I don't really mess with Disney now too much, but back then it, it was a feeling where I could just let everything go and just be a kid again. And yeah. I went back to Disney and it was 2017, the Christmas time. And we were at the Polynesian village. We have a timeshare. So uh, we have, we have, we're DVC members, Disney vacation club members. And um, I, I I remember walking in and just feeling like I had another, like, like when I went to Nebraska and, and with her to live with her, I had a new start and um, it was awesome. And things have been, brother, I, things have been fantastic since then. Ever since then, life has been what I ever wanted to be. Like we talked about sitting on the porch, drinking some of my vodka out in the Midwest, birds chirping <laughs> on my rocking chair. That's how I envisioned my life to be actually later i've actually hit there earlier so to me i'm like wow this is all gravy now everything we do now is fan is gravy now what is my mission because all of us veterans and everybody in the military we, you, when you suffer from post-traumatic stress it's because you lose a mission you, you lose a goal and we lose our way because we're not given that way anymore well my goal now is to be the best father and husband that i can be and that's that's my job and i'm I'm good at it now. I, I, when I'm home, I, my kids hate it now. <laughs> like, dad, you don't have to walk us in anymore. Like, no, I want to walk you guys in. So every day of school, I drive them to school. I walk them in. My, I have a, I have a six year, my little guy that you saw come in uh -huh. he's six. So how blessed am I? I have a 17 year old. That's awesome. But I didn't miss a lot of his life growing up. I have a 13 year old that I missed a lot of her life growing up as well. God blessed us with a six year old that I actually get to spend now and get to enjoy those young years. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm walking in and, and I pick them up every day and I'm walking to class and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty freaking amazing. And my wife, my, my wife, she, she could do a hell of a lot better than me, dude. I've outkicked my coverage with her. You know, I, <laughs> she's still, she's, I've gives you any idea. She was an all American volleyball player and a volleyball players are known for doing a lot of squats, a lots and lots of lot squats and jumps. So they have developed that area of their body that it doesn't go away with age. So <laughs> that's good for me. So you're blessed. I am. I am very blessed. But but yeah, but, but yeah, bro. I, I I I like to tell that part of the story because I think it puts perspective. Again, where civilians and I, I, civilians see military personnel, especially those in the special operations community, as having some sort of special gene, like they're like they're 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 superheroes more or less and i think the the movies and stuff they there are things that we do like 13 hours is pretty dang accurate i mean that's stuff that's what happened but we go through we're just like every, we are i'm 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 even more fallible than most people because because i i sometimes don't think things through and i think a lot of us because of our egos our alpha maleness uh, we let we, we 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 become even more fallible because we start to believe in that we can do everything on our own yeah. And that's far from the case. So that's why I like to say that because I grew the same deals that everybody else does, you know, the problems that everybody else has and I have to deal with them and even some of them even more so. And, but I have, and, and you can too, because you just have to continue to drive on and keep grinding and you don't quit and, and bring God in your life and make sure you bring your family in your life and, and just even the bad times, learn from them, learn how to go overcome those obstacles. So when you're faced with that obstacle again, I already did it. Hence the wall, me pulling up on that wall and being like, man, this sucks. I'm going to burn on this. And then thinking back to running up a trail at, at Mountain Phaser Ranger School with the 70 pound ruck going, 
okay, I've done this before. This was a lot harder than this. This is nothing. (laughs) So yeah, uh, that's essentially it though. And that's why even after Benghazi to me is really the never quit story really, really took, took is is more important to talk about than just what happened that night. Um, They're both important, but to me, I, I, I think that resonates and, and helps more people. And it definitely helps me too. It's very cathartic to me. I don't say it's not, but it it will help more people than just the the battle of what took place. So, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm going to shut the door. I got GQ. I got my my, my, just got. No, no, no. no, I'm going to just shut the door. Okay, yeah. I'll be right back. Oh, never mind. My wife knows she just got my, my daughter does horse riding and she just got back from horse riding and they just got home. And if you saw me with my ice pack on my back, you also know that we also suffer injuries. Even <laughs> <laughs> I was out at the range today shooting and I do PT at the range when we're shooting out here. And uh, yeah, I, I still have to, my back is taking a beating from other years. So I Pretty still, ice this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, brother, but go no, ahead. I, you're I, good, man. You I was going to say, so I, I want to be respectful of your Friday night. So we're, we're recording on Friday. Right. And I oh, would yeah. love to sit down again at some point, but yeah, of course, maybe uh, one of my favorite questions is this is, is always super loaded, but obviously the never quit attitude is, <laughs> is incredibly important and, and kind of, kind of, I'd say a defining quality, but of all of the things that you've learned and experienced, what is maybe the one thing that you wish you would have known maybe going into all of it or don't share with people a lot that you're like, this is something I feel like others could benefit from. So maybe a two part question. Sure. Um, I, I, humility is something that any leader that I have, that I've had before me that I really thought was a great leader had humility. Um, that's what we talked about, Coach Lavelle Edwards. I don't, I, you know, they don't make coaches like that anymore. He was very, he was a leader of, of course, of, of, in his line of work of great men who did tremendous things with Jim McMahon's and the Steve Young and so forth. Now I didn't know it at the time. I don't know if I was learning, but he was extremely humble as well, and. I didn't learn that until how to be humble, the humility portion of it, until I tried to kill myself. And God humbled the hell out of me. God said, okay, you arrogant SOB. Let me kick the legs out for me a little bit. Even through all the stuff that I'd been through with with the colitis and getting kicked out of the military the first time, I was humiliated that first time I got booted out of the military. And I I shouldn't say boot because boot sounds like I got dishonorably discharged. I was very lucky. I should have, but I didn't. But I was humiliated, but I didn't learn humility. I hadn't figured that out. The humility didn't come till I was 45. Yeah, around 45. And it's that last one I had to look in, my, in the mirror. Try to look in the mirror at yourself and see if you can do it. If you can't, then there's things that we, you need to work on. Are we, and I, I want to say you, I want to say well, we all have those issues. If we can't look at ourselves in the mirror, then we need to figure out we're doing something wrong in our lives that we're not proud of. And a lot of times it's the arrogance, the ego, the pride, pride in the bad side, the seven deadly sin pride, not the pride that I'm proud of myself or proud of. I have pride for my son and what he does or pride for, you know, my house is well done. I, you know, it's the pride of, 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 of the air, of being of the ego. Um, humility is something that 
a lot of us don't have anymore. And I think that's a problem in society and social media is a big part, not having that humility, you know, and when you're worried, and I was there worried about the number of likes that you've had more than you're worried about the number of hugs that you've given your kids or they've given you. There's some, there's some, there's some humility issues that you need. And, you know, and sometimes humility does, it comes, kicks us and knocks, knocks our teeth in and knocks us to our very core and brings us to our knees. But there are times that that's okay. And you just learn from it. And that's what happened to me. My humility, my, my humiliating experience where I actually understood humility was came later in life. I said, I was in my forties, 45. And, and uh, I had to hit rock bottom to figure that out. If I would have known that earlier, I would have probably lived my life more virtuous. And hence, I, and I would have had less, less difficulty, you know, um, and it still would have been just as challenging, but uh, I didn't, but that was okay. That's just, that's what I had to do. Um, I think there's a lot of us out there that, that could do with some more humility or just being more humble in our lives. Um, and that comes with even just, even just, I don't even see that much anymore. It's not chivalrous. I wouldn't say that. I would say it's, it's very respectful, but also shows your humility when you're holding door open for somebody yeah. or you let somebody in line. I mean, you're, you're being nice. Let somebody in line in the supermarket or you, you see an old, older person, an old lady trying to grab something off the top of the rack of grocery store and you get it for, right? That's helpful, but it is showing some humility. It's showing respect and showing other things. Or uh, my thing with humility now is, is honestly, I, I, when I'm out, I, I will always listen to what somebody has to say and I won't let it get to me uh, very, very often. Now I'm human still. There are times, but, but I'm going to listen to what you have to say. and hear you out. And, uh, and then, you know, if we disagree on something, then we'll explain it and talk, talk to each other, talk it out. Um, so in today's world, I, I just, I, I don't think there's a lot of that out there because every one of us has to be right about everything and we can never just be wrong. And if you have humility, you can be wrong. And that's how you learn. If you haven't heard anything that what I've talked about all day, I learned by being wrong and failing. I failed, failed, failed. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I learned from it, learned from it, learned from it, learned from it. Okay. I'm finally at this point. Now there's more I can still learn. Definitely. And I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. God's perfect. That's it. There ain't nobody else. We all make mistakes all the time, but having that humility, you understand that. And you understand that you're always trying to work on making yourself a better person by correcting those mistakes. And um, also another thing is I wish I would have read the Bible every day. It helps me every day now. And I, I, it's, I don't read it in a certain fashion. I just open it up and that's the passage I need to read that day. Um, yeah, I, I do. I'm glad God was in my life, but since I've started reading it every day, it's given me more direction of what I need to do of what I can do to help others or what, or what uh, maybe what prayer I need to say for someone else. So, or it's just, it, it, the Bible is always, there's a blueprint to help us. And we, we push it away because God today is a little bit taboo and speaking about it. I don't have a problem speaking about God. And, and more people are, are coming back to that, which shows humility. It shows that hey, maybe, maybe we don't know anything, don't know everything, but it can be more so. And I wish I would have learned that earlier. If I think if I would have learned that earlier, um, probably wouldn't have went all the, the evil demonness that I did from, 2006, 2015 to 2017, yeah. when really I, I was living, 
Hey man, I, I was burning the candle at both ends. I was living the vice life. Every vice that was out there, I was into. And um, it damn near killed me. Um, I, one thing I didn't do is I didn't read the Bible at all. I forgot about God. Until God said, ah, remember me? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm right here. And um, yeah, so I would say, even at a young age, read it. There's That's that blueprint for you right there. Understand it and be virtuous and be humble as best you can. You can be proud. And there are times where, hey, you score that winning touchdown. I get it. You're in high school. I've been there. Hey, run that touchdown and you score it and you win the game with no seconds left. Yeah, you feel proud. Be a little arrogant, but also give thanks for you know what happened and don't rub it in other people's faces. Um, yeah, I, I would say those two things right there. But I, I had to learn those things the hard way. And I, I know a lot of people, especially especially a lot of the high school kids and the, and the adolescents will have to learn it the hard way like I did. It's just part of it. I had people telling me this exact same thing that I'm telling you right now <laughs> that I didn't listen. But maybe that's another one too. Listen to your elders, folks. They really do. And your mom always knows. <laughs> My mom, your mom. That is good knows. advice. Yeah. Right, right there, brother. That's it. Okay. Well, man, I appreciate you. This was, this was fun. I, I, I do oh. want to find another time and, and chat if you're up for yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd love to. I, I, I do. I, 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 it, it really does help me. And it, it really is. And that, that's, that's the selfish part of me saying that, but it is enjoyable. And knowing that if any, just one person that helps get them out of a bad spot, it makes it worthwhile to me to lay it all out there. It was hard at first. It's, it's a little bit embarrassing. It is. Yeah. I'm not, not too worried about it anymore, but if it helps somebody and that's where I kept doing it is people would come up and say, you know, your story got me through a tough time or yeah. man, having a corporate leader at, at, a, at an event come and cry and say, man, you, you, what you said has get me through a tough time. Somebody that's, if you want to talk about status, you know, they, this is a guy that's millions of dollars worth powerful company yep. and they come in crying on your show to me that that means something that I'm helping, not just you would think who needs help, even the people you think are successful still need help as well. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. So right. Anytime. And you know, Jeremy, Jeremy will get you scheduled and, and take Jeremy takes care of you. And, and, um, uh, you know, I, bro, I, I, I had fun. I'm enjoying, I've enjoyed it. Obviously we went an extra 30 minutes. So yes. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm honored and I'm honored to all your people, all your listeners that, and, and viewers that watch this, please. So, so um, yeah, please thank you so much for me taking some of your time tonight, bro. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. Chris, man, once again, thank you for taking the time. I know that uh, we recorded a bit, little bit later uh, on a Friday afternoon, but I appreciate you uh, for taking the time, being uh, very transparent and sharing uh, your life story. And I do look forward to uh, pinning you down, hopefully, again at the uh, in the near future uh, to talk some more and uh, continue kind of cruising through some of the things that you've learned and experienced and hopefully uh, sharing some good insight to others. But uh, everyone listening, I hope you all took something away, uh, maybe found uh, something to go chase after or, uh, or a new way of of thinking you know that's like i've said in the beginning that's kind of my hope is to help provide just different insights uh into people's lives or, or maybe find ways to apply it to yours so with all that being said i hope you all have a wonderful day a wonderful week a happy fourth and uh, i will catch you next time 